Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Fun to be with you. Fun to be back. This is Maximize Your Influence Podcast 486. Kurt Mortensen here as we take a deep dive of the world of influence persuasion. Today is negotiation. Let's look into the FBI, the CIA, hostage negotiators. What do they learn? They spend a lot of time learning about human nature, and that's the key to everything we talk about from mindset to persuasion to influence to motivation. It's understanding ourselves, understanding the human brain, why we do what we do, and quit vomiting on people and data dumping the 42 reasons they should do something. That is a huge complaint. You're talking too much. You're not listening. You're pretending one size fits all. Let's get past that and talk about negotiation. It's been on my brain. The last couple of seminars I've taught has been on hardcore negotiation, get in the trenches, dealing with professionals, dealing with psychopaths, those who have no emotions. They don't care less if you win. They're going to win. If you win, that's okay. If you win a little bit, all right. But no matter what, they're going to win. How do you deal with that type of person? So last week I was in Southern California. This week was a new state, Northern California. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that or not, but they've been trying to separate. They go hot, cold, hot, cold. Sometimes they do that. But yeah, I know it's the same state. So I hope you're achieving your goals, seeing improvement, getting better, trying to apply something at least once a week. Because remember, anything you apply the first time doesn't work perfectly keep trying it using it and then you get to put that tool in your toolbox so let's start off with the persuasion blunder don't 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 i'll call him peter i met him last week makes really good money pretty comfortable life doesn't have to think too much works pretty easy he's kind of stagnant going through the motions and he's not happy he was telling me about this he's like i should be happier Everything's lined up. I'm driving a nice car, nice home, good family. What's going on? And I said, well, are you stretching yourself? Are you growing? Are you doing different things? The brain needs to grow. Nothing's worse than doing the same things every day. You look at the workers that do repetitive work. They need a little extra something, something. Otherwise, it's just not the same. And I told him, you're stuck in your comfort zone. It's a nice, warm, comfortable place. You probably have warm socks on a warm blanket, good food. And then I remember to quote, the comfort zone is a great place, but nothing ever grows there. (laughs) He's like, well, what do you recommend? I said, well, find something that you're passionate about, that you love to do, that you want to learn about. You've got to have purpose. Help other people, serve other people, change the world, do something unique. That really creates a lot of happiness for people. It's no secret that those that give back, serve others, donate money to charities are happier. Studies are pretty clear on that. So I said, you got to find something there and then get a personal development program. Learn to stretch yourself. Pick a topic that scares you. You're not sure what it means, but you hear about it. Maybe you want to learn about it. Go to a college bookstore and just pick a big old thick book on something you want to learn That's the key. You have to learn and grow every day. I've mentioned the Harvard study that those who are learning and growing every day are more optimistic, more enthusiastic, more excited, more motivated. 
But those who don't learn and grow every day become very negative, pessimistic, and doubtful. Just human nature. And what's interesting, when you start your personal development program, you realize, man, I've got a lot to learn. But your family and friends that are watching TV all day long think they know everything. You know how it is. But I don't need to tell you that. You're here. You're on the podcast. You're learning. You're growing. Hey, share with a family member, friend, enemy that's stagnant. Then go to YouTube, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, iTunes under Maximize Your Influence. All right. There's a good plug. Let's go to the Geeky Scarly article. This is called Five Core Skills of Hostage Negotiator. It was in psychologytoday.com. And Dr. Jeff Thompson, getting these links are at maximizeyourinfluence.com along with your free persuasion IQ assessment, specials of the week, and everything we talk about on the show. So I've done training for military interrogators. At first, I thought it was going to be pretty intense, but we had a lot of good laughs. It's different than you think. It is so rare, rare, if ever they use those techniques you see in the movies, right? The torture, the good cop, bad cop, or the waterboarding. That's just not how it is. When you look at negotiators, interrogators, it's all about getting them to open up and share, get in their brain. And in a lot of ways, it's not even negotiation. I mean, if you ever listen to Chris Voss, he was the lead FBI hostage negotiator. We've had him on the show. Check it out on the website and the archives. He says in a hostage negotiation, most of the time you can't meet in the middle. You can't say, okay, 10 hostages, you keep five, I'll take five. That's a persuasion point. Persuasion, you bring them to your point of view. Negotiations give take. And my rule's always been, I've said it many times, persuade first, negotiate second. Hey, why meet in the middle when you can bring them to your side, to your point of view, to your number? So when you're a hostage negotiator, you have to get this voluntary compliance. Figure out what's going on. Figure out why they're doing something outside the norm. So here are their five. I'll give you my feedback and add a little bit to those. The first one is active listening. Same in persuasion, same in negotiation. They say using open-ended questions, and that's obvious. You want them to talk as much as they can. To label their emotions. I'll go a step further and say validate it. You don't have to say, oh, you're an angry person. But you can say, hey... I can tell you have a strong feeling for that. So you don't want to discount it. Sometimes when you label it in the negotiation process, they get upset when you're called an emotional person or an angry person. (laughs) Careful on that. Using lots of silence. Paraphrasing. Basically what that means is, so what you're trying to say, let me see if I get this right to make sure. But hey, this takes a lot of effort. That's why most people don't do it. Because waiting your turn to reply is really not listening. Active listening is with your ears, your eyes, your heart. Why they say in that? You're reading their body language. You're not fubbing. It's when your cell phone buzzes and you look down, you disconnect that eye contact. You might not have that eye contact with a hostage negotiation, but you probably do in real life. And that also includes eliminating distractions so you can listen with your ears, your eyes, and your heart. Because the key here is active listening in a hostage situation is important because it keeps them talking. And that's true in persuasion negotiation. You want them talking because when you can ask the right questions, listen, get them talking, they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade and negotiate with them. Now, what hostage negotiators use is time. They slow things down. The pace is too fast. No, no, let's back up one step at a time. 
It's just easier to slow their brain down, get the emotions down, a little blood back in their brain, communicate, figure out what's going on. Now, we all have to say, too, in a hostage negotiation, I'll use some time to get the people in place in case they need to go in. Probably don't need that with your negotiation. Now, could you use time in a business negotiation? Sure. I mean, when you have that urge, you got to solve it today, got to do it, got to close it, got to close it, man, you're not going to get very good terms. So the mindset that slow is fast, like we talked about last week, that you can listen more than you talk, that you can hang up the phone, go back at another time. It's like the Vietnam War. The Vietnamese reserved a hotel villa for the whole year for the negotiations. The United States just did a hotel night by night, right? Different concepts of time and how long it's going to take. Next one is empathy and rapport. Agreed. When they feel that you get them, that you have the empathy, they're willing to change, they're willing to negotiate. On the business side, when they get that, you understand their wants, their needs, their problems, and that you're not a one-size-fits-all trying to shove the only solution in their lap. Yes, that creates empathy. And of course, report, we've talked about many times, you're a likable person, or at least you're not repelling people. (laughs) That's also good too. That you're not a mean, rude, negative, suck the life out of you type person. You're a friendly, good person. You're at least smiling. They feel understood. They believe you when you say, I'd be mad too. You have been wronged. I agree with you. There's a connection there. Hey, here's a good one. Influence. Talk about it all the time. Because the goal here is to influence their behavior in a positive way. Because there's a crisis at hand. There might be lives at hand. So again, first, the rule, persuade first, negotiate second. And the final one is control. Now, this also applies to business. Now, this article says if a person is in crisis, the odds are they feel like something important is missing. Control. A person in crisis often feels they have no control over their life, and that is what pushes them into crisis. Making that person be part of the decision process is vital ultimately getting what you want. So when they feel in control, they can make the decision. They are more in charge than they thought they were. That changes the game. That's what wins persuasion negotiation. And even when you're negotiating a product or a service, when they feel like they're part of the process, you've got their advice, they feel understood, you've listened, you have to question things we've talked about, they feel they have control. When they feel like they have no control, you're trying to make them make a decision, you're telling them what to do, they're not smart enough to do it on their own, that might be pushing a little bit, that is the key. Which brings us to our content and our listener email. Oh boy! This is TJ from Canada. Just curious, I've been negotiating lately with hardcore negotiators, purchasers, buyers, and they keep using this silence on me. It's kind of cheesy. Does it work? Why do they all use it? Am I missing something? A lot of times they won't talk until I do. Well, all right, TJ, welcome to negotiation school. Does silence still work? Because any negotiation boot camp is going to teach you the first one to talk loses. And if you're dealing with the pros, the buyers, the purchasers that talk to salespeople all day long, they're probably going to use silence. It is a powerful negotiation tool when used strategically. It helps you gather information because you're silent. The other person keeps talking. It creates pressure for them to tell you more. And when you get that information, it can help guide the conversation, the negotiation to your advantage. 
Now, the challenge is, is when the two negotiators or the two people in the room have been to the same school and nobody wants to talk. And if it's been more than two days <laughs> or maybe two hours, we probably should figure something out. Now, many of you are like, well, silence, whatever. That's a silly game. Well, it's part of negotiation. And negotiation is a game. And bottom line, real important, if you don't play the game, you're going to lose the game. If someone has been trained in the game, does the game every day, understands the game, and you won't play the game, you're going to lose the game, just like I said. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, if you're the type of person like, well, I don't want to do this. I go high, they go low, we keep going. Why don't we just start with the real number? They won't do that because your real number will be the starting point. So be like, I'll just give them the real number. And they do. And then the negotiation starts, but they started with nothing that's flexible that can be changed or adjustable. And the negotiator needs to negotiate or they're not going to say yes. So you have to come down from what you really wanted. That's why we play the game and silence is part of the game. Now, it does depend who you're negotiating with. If you're doing a negotiation with a professional, their job's on the line, their ego's on the line, they have to win. Hey, if you win, great. This is war, we're going to win. And when they use silence, that's part of the game. And if you speak first, that's a sign of weakness. Really? You can't play the game? They get you the little, you know, little pressure, the need to talk. They might be looking at some paperwork, doing some other things. Then there's one that's part of their career. I mean, they might do it weekly or monthly. It's not something they're doing 10 times a day. So when they use silence, it's part of the process. They won't go as long, not try to be as intimidating, but they will use it next to the final offer. Say, look, this is the final offer. Look it over and let me know what you think. Now, rookies aren't used to it. It gets very awkward. Their brain doesn't like silence. And they'll say anything to avoid silence. And that's the challenge. That's what they're looking for. But getting rookies, if you're a rookie, get used to it. It's okay. Now, as we get into negotiation, we're not talking about bargaining. That's what you do in other countries. That's what I talked about. You go high, you go low. That's bargaining. When you're never going to see the person again, you're getting off a cruise ship, something like that. Know that in negotiation, win-win does not mean equal splits. You might get 10% of the pie. In negotiation, they might have a better idea than you. Maybe we can adjust this, fine-tune this, make this better, make this bigger versus buy this product, this service. So look at those options. It's like the 12-year-old kid, freeway's backed up, you know, no cars are moving. So everyone's walking towards this bridge. A big truck had hit the bridge. Their payload was too high, got stuck. And so they're getting all these other tow trucks trying to pull it out, back it up, go forward it out, it's stuck. And the kid tells the police officer, well, why don't you let the air out of the tires? Duh. <laughs> but sometimes we just not on our radar sometimes when there are better options. So let's talk about silence, using silence, understanding silence. Here's the disclaimer. Again, if both parties have been to the same negotiation school and you felt it's gone too long, I don't know what the number is, 20 minutes? I've heard it go much longer Especially over the phone, it's much easier to be silent. If you're feeling, okay, really it's time to talk, and they're not going to, you can talk if and only if you ask a question. So it still gives you control of the conversation because they need to respond. They still might be silent, but at least you broke that awkward silence for them. So hopefully they can start talking again. So how do we use it? How do we crank it up? Again, let's go back to that active listening. When you're listening with your ears, your eyes, and your heart... You can tilt in your head, mm -hmm, tell me more. You're still using silence. They're going to share more information with you. 
That could be very helpful. Try to add longer pauses after your questions. You don't need to immediately feel the silence. Gives them time to think, shows them that you're listening, shows you care, which cranks up the empathy and rapport. I would train your brain, and this is tougher than it sounds, is, is to answer their questions with the question. Because you want to answer, you want to answer. Well, why do you say that? What's a perfect solution look like to you? Well, tell me more. Have you tried that before? Is that what keeps you up at night? Keep them going, keep them talking. Silence can also be used for impact. It's called a pregnant pause. Not sure why. When you look at it, persuasive presentations, when you pause, you can kind of feel that. That's a pregnant pause. And that pausing before reply, just a little bit more impactful. They can feel it. Actual studies do show that that pause there is important for them to know that you heard it and that you care. And silence can be good too when there's a lot of emotion in the room. Just let it diffuse a little bit. Now, for some people, it probably could go the opposite of that. Come on, respond. Let's fight. Let's go. So the key is, just like we talked about last week, slow is fast. Be patient. Don't rush it. Maybe they are thinking about something. It can feel a little uncomfortable, but be patient. Just work it through. It's part of the process. It's part of the game. They know they need to make the next move. And I love silence. It just lets them know we're done. This is the final stage. This is it. Take it or leave it. It's time to make a decision. Make sure you've presented me your best offer and they're considering it. That's what the game is. That's what it's done. Hey, if they want to walk, fine. Maybe you don't have to waste any more time there. Maybe it's another meeting. They need to think about it, do some research. But they know this is it. We're done. We're at the final stage. It is time for you to make a decision. So make a mental note to use it more. Practice using it in non-negotiation situations, situations that aren't stressful. If it's still a challenge, you can role play with someone. You can do mock negotiations with others. That's an incredible exercise to get you better in the world of persuasion negotiation. So you can become comfortable that you can do it. You know how to do it. And it's part of the game to do it. So get comfortable. And the reason is if you're not comfortable, you're going to start talking, saying things you should, and you're going to start to do self-negotiating. We've talked about that. You know that one, self-negotiation. Monitor this negotiation. It was done deal. Done deal. And final meeting, CEO. Here comes the rep. This is what we're doing. Dot the I's, cross the T's. This is what's going on. Here's our offer. And silence. CEO there sat there in silence, just looked at him, didn't say anything. Didn't smile, just sat there, and they panicked. Okay, okay, can you down? The CEO was happy with the first offer. Did it again, went down again, went down again, <laughs> and they got a much better deal just by not talking. So you could use it to your advantage, but don't start talking. Don't start negotiating with yourself. So it's a powerful tool. Use it the right way. Don't create so much discomfort they start to shake or cry. <laughs> Be professional. This is a key tool to your success. So there we have it. Thanks for being here. Give us some feedback. Send some questions. Check out our advanced training at InfluenceUniversity.com. In fact, let's make that the special of the week, InfluenceUniversity.com. Click on the link, do the basic enrollment, and you'll get a lifetime membership to the over 100 tools of persuasion, motivation, and influence. So use silence. See, I just used it right there. Like, is it done? Is it done? <laughs> use silence. Practice this week. Become a better negotiator, better influencer, better person, and go out and persuade with power.